Good and welcome afternoon. to Ribbon of Memes, episode five, six. six. <laughs> <laughs> um, and obviously, I'm singing that hymn, um, which is oh, I forgot the name of it now. The men, something. The Son of God to. goes forth to war. Uh, thank uh, you very to, much to the tune of the Minstrel Boy. Yes, exactly. It's, it's which which it, is why it, the scansion is a little bit rough. <laughs> That, that's why you have to uh, run over a few words a bit quick. We're doing that, obviously, because this week we've watched Taxi Driver. No, we haven't. No, I'm kidding. We, <laughs> we have watched The Man Who Would Be King, um, 1975, again. John Huston. This is why it's uh, an extra, because we got got to the, we were chatting after after recording Jaws. And I, I mentioned much I that yeah, this, was another, this was another film of the same year, I said, and Nick said, what? <laughs> <laughs> yes, and we must watch it. Uh, before we get too deep into it, uh, I believe thanks are in order um, mm. to uh, the very kind Glenn Lewis. Is that right, Roger? Yep, he, he, he sent us some money. Um, oh, bloody hell, Glenn. Yeah, uh, you, you, you get some of it. It, it, it wasn't very much, you know, the foreign aid has not been generous this year. But, uh... Oh, well. Um, <laughs> um, that's very, Glenn, I'm sure you have better things to spend your money on, but that's very, very kind of you. Um, and I apologies if you were spending it in the hope of listening to a taxi driver podcast, which may well follow. Um, but for the minute, um, Roger mentioned the money would be king, and I decided we must watch it, um, and Roger uh, agreed. I'm cause... certainly not going to argue with that. Well, there is a tenuous, not so tenuous connection. It's John Houston, who has cropped up um, a pleasurable number of times in this podcast, uh, the sterling chap that he is, and partially as an actor in Chinatown, partially as a director of the Maltese Falcon. Um, and, uh, well, I, I think that they've been the main connections, but we're very happy to have more John Houston on the podcast. Uh, and as, as a director here, uh, some 30 years later. Some 30 years later, and not for want of trying, the man who would be king, Rudyard Kipling's, uh, I think he wrote it as the Whitechapel murders were going on, or certainly published it around about that time. Um, uh, 1888, eight, yeah. Yes, okay, so uh, John Houston wanted to make it for a long time, originally planned to make it with uh, Humphrey Bogart and Clark Gable, mm-hmm. I believe. But... Uh, also tried with Burt Lancaster and Kirk Douglas. Goodness and me. I gotta say, the, the one I would really like to have seen, Richard Burton and Peter O'Toole. Oh my goodness. Now, if, if I didn't love this one as much as I do, <laughs> then I would think maybe that would be amazing. But I, well, we'll, we'll come on to it. Um, uh, also tried uh, Redford and Newman, and apparently Newman said, no, no, you actually need British guys for this. Uh, yeah, and I think wise man that he was, uh, rather than trying to dissect someone's, um, uh, 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 awful attempt at a British accent. And I think they probably would have to try British accent for this, or, or just brazen it out like, um, like whatever, um, was going on in, in Robin, <laughs> in Robin Hood. Um, but I, 
I think uh, it was well worth the wait. In fact, I believe um, it was said by um, Billy Fish. I'm not at all prepared for this podcast, I'm afraid. What's Billy Fish's actor? Um, it uh, was... Saeed Jaffrey. Saeed Jaffrey said that there is an old... Uh, saying that it's sometimes better to wait because then it is done properly. And I would say that is, um, and he said it about this film. I would agree mm-hmm. with him. Um, so I guess some background on it. Um, well, a, a brief synopsis of the plot. The man who would be king is two, uh, chances might be a way of putting it. Meet, um, uh, in the story, I believe an anonymous, Newspaper man who is uh, upgraded to Rudyard Kipling. Yeah, I mean it, it, it's narrated as first person in the, in the novella. So, um, and they tell him of their plan after a, a brief bit of pickpocketing and Freemasonry. They tell him of their plan to head north to the not fictional Kafiristan, <laughs> um, though has been variously described and still described when I was looking into this for the podcast as a fictional country, even though it's a it's a province of Pakistan, I believe. Well, we, we'll we'll come back to that, but let, let's okay. do the plot first. They um, uh, they cross through the Khyber Pass for the second time. The first time they were fighting for their lives. This time they uh, bluff their way through. Uh, do indeed make it to Kafiristan. Do indeed uh, inexplicably become kings and rather overshoot the mark as um, Daniel Dravet becomes the god, uh, or at least a god king of Kafiristan. Whereupon um, hubris and human weakness... Uh, show their faces. It doesn't end terribly well um, for either Daniel Travett or Peachy Carnahan, who returns to uh, the office of the mornings, the Northern Star, uh, carrying Daniel's head in a bag, which is never the best end to a story, but I will say this is a a phenomenally good story. Um, I'm going to posit, I I mean, it's probably pretty clear right out of the bat, I'm rather a fan of this film. I'm aware it mm-hmm. has problems, which I'd like to discuss. Um, I I do think it has got some connections to Jaws, though. I'm going to make some more tenuous connections. <laughs> Firstly, it is an action, or at least an adventure film. I don't know if I'd go as far as to say action film, where it remembers to have some decent characterization at least of the white men, which may be one of the problems that comes up later. But it has... Um, phenomenally good uh, characters as deep as they need to be for the film and probably no deeper than that um, yeah it, and- it's an interesting small cast um, oh. and you, you've got these gorgeous wide shots and all these crowd scenes and so on but if you could somehow have them as backdrops you could do this as a play with you know just the principals and maybe one or two others yeah the credits and, list at the end is pretty short and, and, and the- that's an interesting um juxtaposition of you know huge story tiny cast and i I think that's that's where some of the tension comes from that's similar to badlands takes me back to those wide open spaces with a Mm. tiny cast i don't know that that was a huge uh, quite such an epic story but it was epic landscape um but yes i agree very i mean really the film is is two people. It's, it's Peachy Carnahan and Daniel Travitt mm. played quite memorably by uh, uh, by Michael Caine and Sean Connery. They're only acting role together, I believe. Um, it depends on how you define together. Uh, I, I had a look for this because I got interested. Mm. They do have other credits in the same film. I mean, 
IMDb has a load of award ceremonies and clip shows and things, but I, which I'm not counting. But not in the same scene, I believe. Well, that's the thing. They, they were both in a bridge too far. I'm pretty sure. Oh, yes. I don't think they have any scenes together in that. Um, yes. The also, longest day, maybe. No, no. Uh, Connery's in Longest Day, um, which, which he cut short to go off and do some some James Bond thing, which obviously wasn't going to count for anything. Oh, um, there are a couple of earlier things. Uh, Blood Money, uh, which is basically about a um, over the hill boxer whose manager keeps putting him into fight, and Male right. of the Species, which is... I uh, don't know very much about that. It, it, a, a play adaptation um, seems to have been largely forgotten. Uh, I haven't seen either of those. I don't know if they're in them together again, but they are, they are credited together. Well, certainly this was... Um... This was the first, if there were any more, I'm not, yeah, they, 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 I, they may have appeared in scenes together, but this was the first acting, which is a surprise because they have, I mean, I would, I'm just going to gush about this film. I'm uh, by by I, report, they were, they were reasonably good friends as well. I, I think they were, and also, I don't think they had the worst time on it. John Houston, uh, I don't, he's not got a fearsome reputation as a director. He's maybe got something of a reputation as being quite a deeply flawed human being mm. but I don't think he's considered a difficult director to work with I could be wrong about that um, but I know that both Sean Connery and Michael Caine's films when they've variously been asked their favourite films that they've made is The Man Who Would Be King they may have said different answers at different yeah. times I think from, from an acting said, point of view it's glorious because as you say the focus is very much on them it's not in any way an ensemble cast um, and at the same time, you've got these gorgeous backdrops and the sense of a big film. Yes. Um, it's, it's very much a boy's own adventure. Um, so I, I dug out of one of Kane's memoirs. Uh, there was a day when we were shooting on the right bridge and Sean turned to John and said, I think the bridge looks safe. John lowered his eyes and said, Sean, the bridge looks the way it always has. The only difference is today you're going to be standing in the middle of it. <laughs> I I did what well, I watched an award ceremony with John Houston to just to get into it. He is a he certainly looks like a man who could tell a few anecdotes. Um, and <laughs> looks like a man who would have be good to have at a dinner party. I, it sounds to me like most people had a good time. There is one female character in the whole film, named um, female character, named female character in the whole film who has a few lines which are uh, none of which are in English, none of which are particularly <laughs> translated. Um, that was Michael Caine's wife, mm -hmm. then wife at the time. I believe it was supposed to be Sophie Roald Dahl's daughter. Uh, Tessa Dahl. Uh, not, uh, not Sophie Dahl, Tessa Dahl. Um, but who, uh, who, who is, with no offence to her, she's probably a wonderful person, but she is extremely white. Mm. Unlike Shakira Kane, um, who is not and certainly looks the part, and honestly, and with no disrespect to her, really, that's all she needs to do in this film because she's got pretty much nothing else to do. And, and, and who's, they, they, they had Tessa Dahl ready, ready to play it, but Houston wanted, and I quote, an Arab princess. Um, <laughs> well, yes, okay, well, Michael Caine happened to know someone who fit the bill because mm -hmm. he, um, he had married her some years before. Um, mm -hmm. She was a model. I think. Anyway, I don't want to get too too involved in the biography of all the backstory. I I mentioned problems a few times. Let's let's ask you, Roger. I I love the film. I'm aware it has problems. What what are your? I love the film too. I I think we may have we may have different problems with it. Okay. Um, the thing that really got me is, all right. In in the novella, Carnahan is primarily the narrator because he's the guy who survives. Yes. But I feel that it should be a relatively even-handed story. And Cain mm. basically takes it over. There, yes. Now, I, I've read there are some who feel that 
Kane really let the film down, that he over he sort of mugged his way through it and overacted and made it much more of a comedy than it was well, supposed to be. Well, I'd sort of say that. I, I do think he's playing it as a comedy. Um, yes. That that in itself is not a problem, but because I'm I'm then thinking comedy, I'm then thinking comedy pacing, where you need a much quicker, tighter story than mm. a drama does. And for that reason, and I think it is that reason, I, I found it was it was a bit draggy at times, uh, consi- you know, considering the absolute tightness of the Falcon. Yes, I, I yes, I take your point. There are yes, I, I think I'm, that's a fair. I, I don't. I wouldn't say he's overacting. I think I think he's doing the thing. I mean, one, one of the great things about Michael Caine, and many, many people have said this about working with him, is you all, you know, if you're if you're paying him absolute peanuts, the minimum he'll get out of bed for, you still get the full Michael Caine. <laughs> yes, but but I wonder whether perhaps Houston hadn't quite accounted for that. I um, I mean, I will say that's what people have said. That's some of the criticism I read of the film. I disagree. I don't think. I mean, I think Carnahan has to be a larger than life character. I, I just yeah. feel that. Oh, I absolutely agree with the larger than life. I I just think it, it's the the knock on effect of of that on the pacing. Was was what I, I I found was was a bit weak. Well, I think we all have, and I've, I I suppose uh, to to bring it up to date. You know, people feel similarly about Thor Ragnarok, um, <laughs> which is a similarly uh, that is, which is um, a film directed by uh, oh Taika Waititi, the uh, the the Jojo Rabbit giant uh, guy. <laughs> I, I haven't seen it, so uh, it's very very good. Uh, uh, both of them very good. Um, Taika Waititi, um, almost certainly mispronouncing that. I'm sorry, but um, uh, Thor Ragnarok is is has a rich vein of comedy to the point where it is a bit like Guardians of the Galaxy as well. Um, uh, is uh, almost too much of a comedy and it loses some of the drama. I personally have a strong tolerance for that, so long as I find it funny. <laughs> so, hmm. oh, I, I, I like the combination of comedy yes. with drama. I ju- I just think that. It has an effect on one's perception of the speed of things. I mean, it's not that that is bad. It's that combining it with a great big long shot of here are things you find in an Indian market and a great big long shot of here is the army marching to victory, which would be fine in a straight drama, feel as though they're dragging when it feels like a comedy. It's it's the juxtaposition that's spoiling it slightly for me. I I agree with you. It's interesting, that very opening scene when it is... um... Uh, it's not really a comedy so much. It strikes you more as a travelogue of Houston, or more likely the second unit found some um, uh, quirky exotic chaps doing quirky exotic things. And here, here is the snake charmer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I, I, it occurred to me watching that you could have just skipped that whole scene and started it with the black scene and the humming hymn, and it probably would have been a better film for it. I, mm. I don't know that you need it. And there are a few moments like that throughout the film. I agree. It's almost like, well, we got all this second unit stuff. We might want to put it in, <laughs> in the film at some point. And it does. Yes, I, I concede. That could make the film drag. Yeah, so so main main unit was uh, some some in France, some in Morocco, and the studio stuff in Pinewood, of course. Right. So, yes. Yeah, which, which leads me back by by a slightly twisted path to to Kafiristan. Yes. Um, so yeah, at, at the time Kipling wrote it, it was very little known, but it was an actual place. Yes. Um, and then with within ten years after he had written it, it was conquered. 
Right. Not not by two, two adventurers, uh, but by Abdul Rahman Khan in 1895, and he renamed it to Nuristan, and that, that comes into the history because Kafiristan basically meant the unbelievers country. I see. Because, okay. because the connection with Alexander is absolutely real. Yes. Um, and they, they had a, a sort of, call it a primitive Hinduism, um, taxonomically, it, it, it's a paganism of sorts. And they stuck onto, they stuck onto that well, while the rest of the surrounding area became, uh, first Buddhist and then Islam. Okay. And so, and so they, they, so they were the unbelievers and thus Kafiristan. And, uh, when, uh, Abdul Rahman Khan conquered it, he, he renamed it to Nuristan, the enlightened land. Right. That always uh, goes down well with the populace. <laughs> um, and yeah, right, people writing about Kipling almost immediately started to say, well, you know, it's, it's not on the map. It must be an imaginary country. <laughs> there, there was some excuse for doing this in the early years of the 20th century, rather less later. Uh, yes. It doesn't take a huge amount of research <laughs> to discover. However, in, in checking up on that, um, I noticed if, if you do an image search for Nuristan, you mm. do not see the, the deserty hills that you get in this film. What you have is wooded valleys. And then yes. that the, quite often the hills themselves are bare, but basically everybody lives in the wooded valleys where there's fertile gr- ground and so on. Now that's, yeah, it, it doesn't impair the film. Somehow I expect that Kipling would probably have had, had the uh, actual country in mind because Kipling's yeah. thing was talking to people who'd been there wherever yes. there was. And it's it's just an odd choice. I mean, maybe it was deliberate. Houston made a share of westerns. There, 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 uh, there's a lot of the western visual grammar in it. There is, and it, it's very much kind of the rolling. I mean, the, the, the terrain is how more how you imagine Afghanistan, I mm. guess. Yeah. And uh, I have, I've tried to read the book and bounced off it actually once or twice, so I didn't get as far as to how Kipling described uh, Kafiristan. It doesn't go into a lot of detail, and it, it, the, the novella is only about fourteen thousand words. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, 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 I am a big fan of Kipling's, so uh, the, well, perhaps the, the, we should this talk, is not at all new to me. I suppose one of the problems with the film, which I I feel kind of obliged to talk about, although honestly, I I don't know how strongly I feel about it. Not particularly. Uh, uh, I mean, there is a strong vein of imperialism going through it. You know, these are two white men bringing their enlightened thoughts to the to the backwaters. Please, and please all, note how well it goes for them. Uh, well, exactly. I mean, I do, I, you know, you could argue, actually, it's a cause. In fact, I think many people have argued it's a cautionary fable and a microcosm of imperialism. But I feel the way the men are undone is not through any agency of the um, inhabitants of Kafiristan, who are basically given no agency almost whatsoever. They're, they're treated like unpredictable savages. Mm, um, yeah. For the whole film, and, and the what, only... one one uh, point of difference with, with the novella is uh, here we've got a combination for Dravot of thinking of himself as a god and wanting to found a dynasty, and yes. thinking, "Gosh, she looks a bit nice." Yes, exactly. In the novella, it is just the former. He he doesn't even see her until their uh, wedding. No, uh, he just, yeah, she just turns up at the wedding, doesn't she? Yes, and that's I, I think that's a, a I think that is a more explicable. Um, addition to be honest to the film it slightly explains Dravet's motives or at least you know gives a, a certain uh, a sheen to them that makes sense to, to the yeah but it viewer. also weakens the, the point of the story which is just don't essentially to, to sum up don't believe your own legend 
Yes, exactly. Yes, I. I mean, I. I don't think there's anything wrong with the story, or you know, the fact that he is undone by himself and hubris and the the perils of um. Yes, uh, well, of, of arrogance. Um, I. I do feel that story. I mean, it really is just the two men, and they are the, the inhabitants of Kaviristan are not in any way humanized particularly um mm. they are treated as savages ignorant savages you know there's a line um towards the end there they're savages here Danny one and all um and it's and most uh, of them I, don't even get names yeah exactly uh you know the one who died, oh what's his name the leader uh, of the first town that they, or, uh, yes uh is uh I, again, it's it's played for laughs, really. That is this comedic. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, played, played by a dogma Larby, whom I haven't come across elsewhere. Um, but he has the absolute perfect face. I mean, oh my for, goodness, for, yes, for so a, expression. For, a, for again, for for a job of acting that that is done entirely not in English, it's great, particularly uh, during the battle. The, yes, the, the, yes. The, the initial battle where he's he's sta- standing there under his sunshade. Yes, w- working out very carefully. Okay, these guys are actually going to win. At what uh, point now, it now is I'm, safe? For me. Now I'm going to now I'm going to come in and, and clearly be a part of this victory. Yes, <laughs> I, my favourite of um, Utsal expressions is when he slowly works out the Englishmen are actually going to help him become king of Kafiristan. It's slowly explained to him by Billy Fish that they're not here to, to kill him or anything, mm-hmm. um, that he's actually been landed uh, one of the greatest opportunities of his life. The fact that he's dead a few days later <laughs> may, may, not, may not work so well for him. But I, I think for me that is, uh, with 2021 eyes and trying to look at it from a non-white privilege, I, I do struggle with the lack of agency. I, I don't know if the story would have worked, but it is quite clear that this entire nation of people... Mm. Ah, uh, where, where one can make the argument is, is is that they they haven't, at least in their living memory, seen anything like organised warfare. No, I, I think and, the, and I so don't, you know a few weeks of training actually is enough to make a difference. I I don't disbelieve the the technological progress or yeah the the you know the 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 principal advantage the Romans had over the rest of the world was that you know they're military drilling uh, more than anything else and so I, I don't think that is a problem I just feel the men uh, particularly Javit he's, they're undone by themselves there is nothing yes. that yeah. Kafiristan can do to them or for they, they, they just they are not a plot the, the, the inhabitants of Kafiristan are in no way players in this story they're just well except all mass if you like um, uh, they become I mean, an unstoppable I, 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 force I think one of Kipling's arguments would be Basically, you you treated them as if they were safe. Yes, and they ain't. Well, that Kipling has got this kind of post-colonial uh, reputation of being kind of a racist and an imperialist. Which I don't. You're more of a fan of Kipling than I am, but I don't believe that's entirely true of Kipling. I think he often went more out of his way to humanise the inhabitants than a lot of his contemporaries did. Or am I? Yeah, it, I, I would say I, I don't want to do do a huge divagation on that, but broadly, I would I would agree with you there. Okay, all right, um, and I think that the film does. Uh, uh, okay, that, so that's my problem with the film, I suppose, and I it does not. Honestly, never had before particularly marred my enjoyment of the film. And honestly, even now, doesn't it? It makes me uncomfortable in points. Um, but uh, I, I don't think it is 
Oh, I, I don't feel it's especially racist. It's just a shame that it is all from a colonial perspective, um, and that's hard to see through 2021 eyes sometimes. But it is also... Uh, it's hard to judge that too much when it is a parable on the perils of thinking that you're the best person, the best people in the whole world. <laughs> yeah, though, what was I, I think this is probably one of one of my particular quirks because uh, you, you may recall uh, with both Badlands and Bonnie and Clyde that that sense mm. of things are now going wrong and they're going to take a very long time from that <laughs> yes. they're now going wrong to it's resolved and. Again, you know, there is an awful lot of stuff in the, call it the final third or so, which Mm. is everybody is telling you that this is a mistake, but you're going to do it anyway. Repeat, repeat, repeat. That is a fine tradition, you know, that is a Greek tragedy, you know, there's a difference between (laughs) drama where you don't know, you know, drama is where you don't know what's happening, and a tragedy is where you know what's happening, and you desperately hope your protagonists will avoid it, and they don't. And that, that I don't think that's particularly new to this. Oh, it's it's a it's a valid storytelling technique, and as I'm saying, it, it, it's in these other films too. It's just not a thing I get on with. Okay, I mean, I I notice that people do, I, again. I don't know what will come on to Carlito's way, but you know that is a film that spoilers starts with his death and then explains what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people, and I'm getting the feeling you would react less well to that than a more open-ended story. Well, I, I also like stories that go start at the beginning and go on to the end and then stop, so, you know. Yeah, okay. I, do, I, um, I find a great pleasure in that when the filmmaker pulls it off. And uh, Babylon 5 on name check that does that phenomenally well. Um, what, what I would say also is, is on the upside, and it's part of the same thing, the, the events are very much flowing from the characters. They're, they're happening because of who these people are. Yes. Not because somebody decided that this was going to be the plot, as it were. I mean, obviously Kipling did decide that was going to be the plot, but. Yes. It, it shouldn't, I, I, I feel that a, a story should, you could always be able to see, okay, he would make that decision at that point because he is that person. Yes. You're never, uh, you're, I suppose, this may be getting a bit too, but I, I suppose as a viewer, I, like Carnahan, feel frustrated, um, with Daniel for, for, with Danny for staying there and ch- making his decision, but you can absolutely understand why he would. And you also, in the context of everything we've seen before, you understand that Danny is a stubborn bugger and there is no way he's going to change his mind mm-hmm. until he is confronted. One, one of the him. things I like is that they don't even try to seriously talk him out of it. Because no. they, Peachy knows perfectly well that that isn't going to work. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he tries vaguely. Um, well, not very. He, 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 he tries emotionally, deeply, uh, using the friendship as a connection, which is the only thing they have. Um, the only leverage he has and the only mm. leverage he's ever needed with Danny before. And leverage is harsh because I don't think he's ever tried to leverage it in that way before. So the fact to me, the fact that he does even try speaks volumes. Um, mm. Because I'm, I'm moving on to, you know, I was trying to ask, I was asking myself, why do I... Love this film. I, I almost, so why do I love Jaws as well? I don't, I think it's, it's something to do with male, I, I don't know why male particularly, but certainly human comradeship and, you know, the moments on the Orca when they are companions all together and the whole of this film. Yeah, well, these... like, like, like Jaws, it is a very male film. Yes, it is. And there is something that appeals to me about that, um, their friendship in The Man Who Would Be King to me is one of the greatest friendships that's ever been shown you know they are not and they they're very honest and much like i think john houston himself you know they were very honest about what they were they're very comfortable in their own skin Mm. they are 
honourable men in their way, which is something we've come across time and again in these films. Um, but they will, st- you know, the friendship is a sacred thing, even though they would never describe it as that. And mm. they they would die for each other. I think there's no, I don't know if they explicitly say that, except towards the end, it's pretty clear. Um <laughs> Uh, it's just a, a, a phenomenal bonding of these two rogues who are, to me, just full of character. They have this huge backstory. You could argue maybe is slightly over-explained. I don't think so. I think it's touched on nicely that they have this huge history together. I, I don't think it needs to be particularly. I mean, the the, the basic thing is um, we, we were in this, that and the other bad situation. Yes, but they do it in such a comradely way, you know, when they're laughing about their previous colleague. I just, I don't know, just everything about that friendship. They are so comfortable together. You talk about on-stream chemistry, you know, and we talked about it in the Maltese Falcon. To me, you know, this is one of the strongest on-stream mm. chemistries that I've ever seen. Um, they're just phenomenal together. They just, but yeah, to me, you talk, you're not thinking this is Sean Connery and Michael Caine. They are just, and, and the characterization. Much as in the um, uh, in the Maltese Falcon is so beautifully done, you know. For, within a few moments of meeting Kipling, you know what he's about. Within a few seconds of meeting <laughs> of, of meeting um, Peachy, you know, it's, his first encounter is to pickpocket. Realise he's pickpocketed a Freemason and have to return. That just tells you a lot about what you need to know about Peachy about his moral character. Yeah. Ne- his... Next time somebody asks me about how how a code of honour works, I'll, I'll point out this example. <laughs> I, it's just you know he puts himself at real risk to do that um mm-hmm. i mean he does throw an unfortunate um indian gentleman off the train in order to frame him for the pickpocketing um I just, I, the characterization is so strong the friendship is so believable to me i mean it's a film friendship i suppose and it is uh, we talked about comedy and it's not the comedy of situations because the situations they are in are not comedic i mean they are mm. life or death um but these men take it with such they they're almost the embodiment of um kipling's if poem you know they they you know they just they take their the slings and arrows of ignoble fortune they just accept you know when they realize they're going to freeze to i i appreciate you know they're laughing their way to cause an avalanche to get their way out of it maybe that slightly stretches my uh sense of disbelief but the moment before that is so beautiful when they accept they're going to die and they just like you know we're not we're not good men, but how many people have, have been where we've been and seen what we've seen and, and just are so mm-hmm. reconciled to their lives and their deaths. There's something so appealing to that to me. And even at the end, sorry, I'm just gushing now, but even at the <laughs> end of the film, I just, one of my favourite moments in the whole film is um, uh, I'm heartily sorry for getting you killed instead of going home rich like you deserve. Can you forgive me? And just, it's not even a question to Peachy, just, you know, mm-hmm. I can and that I do without reservation that that to me is the core of the film and it's why I love it so much that friendship yeah it's I've I I am not normally a fan of very male films but this one even more than Jaws does simply work for me yes Uh, it, it just holds together it it does what it's there to do yeah, I'm, I'm not going to say I, w- I wouldn't make some very slight changes to it if I were making it, but I didn't make it. So, yes, for, I, I I love the framing device. I, I mean, uh, uh, Christopher Plummer is one of my favourite actors anyway, mm. and and having him is he just does some phenomenal acting in it. His you can see uh, his mixture of horror and kind of slight jealousy of these 
of these characters <laughs> and mm. also you know it's genuine affection for them you know the moment when he says man don't go the odds are too great and, and um uh the framing device at the beginning and the end that wraps around it the contrast with carnahan the man we've come to know in the film with this broken figure mm. at the end um I don't, just everything about it works for me. Um, I, I think it's a, a solid contrast, actually. Uh, I think we, we've mentioned before my, my, my distinction between actors and film stars. Uh, yes. Kane and Connery are both film stars. You would not mistake them for yes. anybody else. They are recognisably them playing yes. these characters. Yes. Plummer just blends into the part. That's true. Yes, he doesn't... I, I, yes. You could, you could watch another point. Plummer and not immediately say, oh, it's that guy. No, he's he's very he's sort of timid, but but yes, he does it fantastic. I mean, all the all the named you know, most, I mean, Billy Fish is um uh, uh is it's just a phenomenal. I I believe that is one of the changes from the book that I think in the book it was a native Kafiristan, yes, uh, whereas they changed it to be an Indian survivor of the previous geographical, which is worth survey. it if only for his last scene. <laughs> that Be, is... because that is exactly what a Gurkha does. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, he's a he's a wonderful character too. I mean, they're all. I I I still slightly wish. Maybe maybe. I mean, my wish, my twenty twenty one wish, is that maybe the Kafiris stands would be given more personality. But maybe maybe that would be to the film's detriment. Maybe if they had been less mysterious and more humanized. Do you think that would have made the film less successful? Well, I I think it's a viewpoint thing because. Although it's not, you know, first person view, uh, it is basically, it's narrated by Peachy. It, it mm. is his recollection of his experiences. We, we don't get subtitles for the, for the local language conversations. Uh, no. in, in, in the novella, obviously they don't need an interpreter because they're not quite that daft. Uh, <laughs> um, yes. but, and, and that I think is also why it, it's a justification, at least for the lack of female roles. They're basically not really paying attention to the locals all that much. And so the film doesn't really pay attention to the locals all that much. Yes, fair. And we know just from hinting Peachy's narration that, you know, there is, this is something of a tall story. The fact that he says Danny fell 20,000 miles and took half an hour to fall at the end of it <laughs> is it's yeah. presumably something of an exaggeration, unless they're on a different planet to the one that I'm aware of. Um, I'm oh, very high mountain. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so I, I think. Peachy is a somewhat unreliable narrator, um, and yeah, I think that's a fair point that it that it is it's really told from their story quite explicitly. So, and all right, I mean it's it's a justification of the problems we've already talked about, but but I think it is at least potentially a reasonably valid justification. It works in my mind, if nothing else. Um, now, as John Houston, I have read um, elsewhere. David Thompson, in fact, describes this as very minor. It's Houston, but very minor Houston. Um, hmm. Which that's I, not what the critics said at the time. I mean, even the ones well, who, do, who didn't like it reckoned it was pretty bloody big. Well, that's. Um, I, I was a little surprised. I mean, I, I think in a way you've touched upon it yourself in that it's a huge backdrop to a fairly intimate and tight story. And the reason I backed off from saying this is an action movie where, um, uh, where you, where the character, where they're characterized, really not actually a huge amount of action that goes into it. It's much more of an adventure and exploration story. Um, yeah. but I was trying to think of action sequences. There are, there are very few. One, one of the things that people said at the time was that it was an old fashioned adventure film. Yes. Presumably comparing it with 
well, for example, the various things we've been talking about, the the, the new Hollywood approach. And this, this is Houston doing an older style of film. Yes, even if the cinematography is sort of expanded. I wonder how much the script changed from the 50s, I think, when he wrote it. It it was also credited, the script I saw was credited with, is it Glenda Davis? Um, But it it was co-written by uh, another woman who I never saw saw her crop up with anything, really. When I looked at her on Wikipedia, that was her really her main entry, was that she was was credited in co-writing the script. But I, I wonder how much it changed script-wise from... In some ways, it feels like the script was written for Connery and um, Kane. But Houston always insisted he didn't write for actors. He wrote for the characters that he had in mind. And then he found the actors that fitted those characters. And also, the, the, it's not wildly different from the story. I mean, obviously, you know, it, it's, it's a 14,000-word story. You, you need to cut that about. Yes. Uh, but... It, it's uh, there are there are a lot of phrases from the story there there mm. it's it's not uh, a, a huge revision it's it's a lot more closely based on the story than many things that are based on written work so i mean thinking of john houston's oeuvre um i mean we have the maltese falcon we have the african queen we have Treasure of the Sierra Madre, three of my favourite films of all time, I must say. <laughs> so, I mean, for me, a, a brief rule of thumb for whether a director makes it into my Hall of Fame is if they've done three films which I like or love, then they're they're okay by me. Then I will trust them in whatever else they do. And Houston has done, you know, those and this, which I adore. It makes me want to watch the rest of all his other films, to be honest, um, of which there are many because he was quite a prolific director. Um, but they would be his most famous. So to me, the criticism that this is uh, by David Thompson, that this is minor Houston, I don't know. I I I disagree in that I enjoy this film more than all of the others that I mentioned. And that is not to mm. say I dislike any of them. I think they're all great. I mean, Maltese Falcon and Treasure of Sierra Madre amongst uh, would intermittently be in my top three films of all time. Um, mm. The African Queen certainly be me on my top yeah. ten, as, as much as you want to rank these things. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not so wonderfully enthused by, say, Under the Volcano or The Bible in the Beginning, but... Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Well, uh, they're, they're the Houston ones that I know, but it, I, I will. I, it certainly made me want to watch more Houston, because it's reminded me. Uh, I, what it has also made me, which I mentioned to you at some point, I'd like to... I don't know if it would make it onto a um, classics podcast, but uh, White Hunter Black Heart was written about Mm. Houston by the screenwriter for The African Queen. And it's about Houston um, wanting to hunt an elephant to the detriment of all other things going on, including the film. I'd, I'd love, uh, which was then made into a film with Clint Eastwood as John Houston. Mm. It doesn't seem like the best match to me. Clint, this taciturn... I, I mean, he's a good actor, don't care. And I haven't seen the film. I just... It, oh, it, you think of Clint as this fairly taciturn, um, uh, quiet, um, but deadly man, whereas Houston is the, a very much more Peter Houstonov style, expansive, live live life to the uh, to the maximum. Yeah, though uh, the, the film was made in 1990 of the 1953 book about 1951 events, so I think, I think the book... <laughs> the, I'll probably read the book. <laughs> 
Uh, I think yes. I, 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 okay, yeah, fair enough. Uh, I would. I, I'm going to dig into that regardless. Um, we've drifted away from the man who would be king. Well, uh, one, one connection. Um, I, d- I don't have a full list, but this is certainly one of the films that Spielberg cited as inspiration for Raiders of the Lost Ark. And, yep. and I think you can you can see elements that were obviously inspirational there. Yes, from the from the cinematography and the setting to the the dialogue, I think, um, mm-hmm. the, the, and the kind of undercutting dramatic effects with comedy, which is uh, more underplayed in Raiders, certainly played up in uh, the Last Crusade, which of course has Sean Connery in as well. Well, I I think it's that. There, there are serious things happening, but rather than, oh, you know, your, your typical American World War II film, everybody is being a grim hero. Yes. And, yeah. and the difference that comes, I'm, I'm sure this isn't the first one that does it, but, the, but it, it's very obvious here that just as in real life, people are, are in grim situations and, and they, they, they crack jokes. Yes. I mean, so, so it's, from... it's, so it's, so it's a, a leavening of realism as well as of humor. It feels real to me. Maybe that's because we're English. Um, and of course, well, to, as we to, know, to me, one one of the core characteristics of Englishness is being able to say, "This situation is just ridiculous." So let's laugh at it. We're not gods. We're Englishmen, <laughs> which is the next best thing. <laughs> um, sorry, that was a quote from the film. That was not from my personal opinion. Um, but yes, exactly. And that, to me, when the jig is up at the end, um, and Peachy realizes in the film, at least Peachy is. Uh, portrayed as being a couple of seconds quicker on the uptake than Danny, um, mm. generally. Um, and so when he realizes the seriousness of the situation they're in, you know, there's no quips or jokes then. They are just, you know, straight into, we've got to get out of here. Um, brass it out, Danny. I just, to me, that undercut, because in every other situation, you've seen them face odds that I would find fearsome and they've just laughed them off. Mm. Uh, not in an arrogant way, but exactly as you say, this is a ridiculous situation. But they are, Peach at least, genuinely shaken and scared at the end, which to yeah. me works in its favour. Yeah. Um, uh, so, well, that's answered one of our questions. Is this a masterpiece? One of them is, is it influential? It was, it was, it was one of those films that was adored by the critics and not seen very much. Well, some of the critics. Um, I, I, as you were saying at the beginning, quite a few basically said, uh, Michael Caine takes over and, and it drags, which I yeah. would say is true to a limited extent, as, as, as I've just been going on about at some yes. length. Uh, but I don't think that spoils the film for me. No. It, it certainly carries me. It is one of my, I've talked about it before, but if, if there is a film, which George is included in that, that once the end credits are finished, I would happily start the film up again. Mm-hmm. Then it's it makes it makes my intermittent. This is my favourite film of all time list, um, of which there are a select few. Um, and in a similar vein to Jaws, I must say, it is entertainment. It, I, I don't know that you can draw any particular moral. Uh, parable from it other than exactly as you say don't believe your own legend but it's not really something that most of us <laughs> have to deal with on a daily basis um, uh, I, I don't know that it's a particularly deep film about the human condition it could have dwelled much more on that mm. and it sort of chooses not to uh, I it, it, again it works for me I think it works as entertainment it's, it is less we talked about the almost perfect editing of Jaws and yeah, I would agree. This probably could have done with a a little bit more editing, perhaps. But I I don't care because I, I love it. <laughs> so. um, but it, it drag it carries you it drags you along it carries you along 
to, mm. for me. Um, and it's it's entertainment. And maybe I'm coming to the coming round to the fact that maybe I just want my films to be enjoyable nowadays. We've talked about some films that have tried to make a deeper point, Badlands, perhaps. Um, I, I tend to feel that uh, prose does a better job for that sort of thing, but mm. yeah, obviously, yeah, I'm, I'm just me. I'm not everybody. Though, if everybody felt like felt, thought the way I do, obviously, the world would be a much better place. <laughs> well, you better keep working on that um, that satellite ray you're working on. But um, <laughs> yes, okay. Uh, but I'm aware it's 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 pulpy entertainment, but there's nothing wrong with that in my book, and, and certainly has been. Uh, enjoyed, but we should probably try some films uh, at some point that have deeper points to make. <laughs> <laughs> as, as far as I'm concerned, a good film should do both, and yes. th- this this does the entertainment as well as making something of a point. Yes, where entertainment is becomes a bit vacuous, I think, is when it doesn't even attempt to try and acknowledge that there are deeper human truths uh, or even human frailties or such a thing as someone who uh, starts limping when they get shot in the leg, for instance. <laughs> um, uh, but we can talk about that as, as we go on through. Uh, do we? This is 1975, isn't it? What were the top ten films of 1975 uh, out of it? I bet it wasn't uh, The Money Would Be King. I there. think we may have mentioned this briefly last time because the top one was Jaws. Um, ah yes, we did. We talked about seeing Jaws, didn't we? Because I keep confusing myself. Uh, Jaws of 1976, because that's when I was born, and that was obviously the best year ever. But uh, yeah, it, it certainly doesn't appear in the top ten. Shame. But is uh, it was widely uh, loved by its actors. Um, uh, Houston said he had no favourites for all his films. He can't watch any of them. Um, but I bet he liked this one. It must have been satisfying, at least, that he finally got it made, and it turned out all right. Uh, let's see, box office was 11 million, which would, and the, the num- number 10 was about 16 million, so, you know, it was, a, oh, okay. it was there, that wasn't but... a disaster. That's good to know. <laughs> well, do you, do you have anything more to say about, again, I've gushed my way through this. <laughs> I don't think you're the only one. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just works. Mm-hmm. Would it be, would it be, Better if it were a, a more specifically faithful um, rendering rendering of the Kipling story, maybe. But on the other hand, we get say Jeffrey is a Gurkha, and that's bloody wonderful. Yes. Uh, yes. So, you know, I uh, I'm really not going to complain about this. We liked it, and I uh, it was influential. Um, critics liked it. In my eyes, it's a masterpiece, or certainly it, it's one of the reasons I love film. Is it takes me exotic places, uh, gives me characters I can root for, and then kills them off and makes me sad. Well, it doesn't explicitly kill Peachy, unlike the novella, which says, yeah, he died. No, he dies. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it, it's fairly sad. So it, it's fair to say Peachy doesn't seem to have very bright prospects by the end of the film. Uh, if a film moves me in any way emotionally, if it is happy or sad, then I'm going to like it generally more. Um, and this one did both. As does Jaws. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the other films we talked about haven't so much. Chinatown did. Um, to me, I was sad at the end, <laughs> which is uh, which means that I'm human. I hope because it has got quite a sad ending. If, if you asked me to rate this against the Maltese Falcon, both of which are definitely among my favourite films, <laughs> I, I I will say look over there at Elvis and quickly look quietly leave the room. Thinking. Um I I don't think I, they, they all right. They they are both very male films. They are both to some extent about manhood yes. and honour and so on, but 
I, I don't. I think they are different enough that it is not meaningful to say one is better than the other. Uh, yeah, it's one at, of the, at I, any given moment. I might be in the mood to watch one rather than the other, but which one that is will change. Fair point. I think uh, this pips multi self for me in that it does move me more emotionally. That because the 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 relationship um, at the core of the multi falcon, if you can call it that. Uh, never quite rings true, not just to me, but even to the protagonist. <laughs> even to the protagonist <laughs> but that's, that's to its strength. It just, but for that reason, I like it a little less. But there we go. It gets 9.5 instead of 10. Heresy! <laughs> I won't say what it's out of, though, just to leave the, some mystery. <laughs> well, there we are. I think that about wraps up another episode. Perhaps we mm. shouldn't talk about what film we're going to see next to give one a completely 180. Well, we, we already have one promise we've, we've broken, so let's see if we keep that next time. All or right, maybe yes. we won't. Who knows? But, well, but yeah. By, by, by the time anybody's actually finding out, they will see the episode title, so they'll know. So you know, I think they'll already know. Uh, yes, when they're listening to us discuss it, they will know more than us <laughs> at that point. <laughs> well, uh, Roger, it only remains for me to say one thing, and that is, um, you have my permission to bugger off. And I don't wife, that's a going concern. <laughs> oh, I love it. Anyway, sorry, I'm a critic. I promise, I'm a critic. All right, <laughs> bye. <laughs> We'll be right back.